Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network. The podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with my friend and the show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Hey, Nate. Hey, buddy. Headed to Alaska, huh? You know it. Oh, I'm jealous. Well, yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Have fun. Travel safe. Good to... You're, you're not the only one that gets to travel, bro. Yeah, well, it's good to be home and not travel for a minute. Yeah, that's actually true. Too. I get that. Um, so, we are diving into, I don't know, maybe some of the most tragic scriptures in, in the Old Testament, and that is the destruction of not just Israel, but Judah. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this as we've been reading through these scriptures, that typically they refer to the northern kingdom as Israel and the southern kingdom as Judah. All right, so let's dive into first is going to be the destruction of the northern kingdom, Israel. Let's get it. By the Assyrians. Dang Assyrians. And and, and so, you know, for the record, I mean, we'll hit this when we get to uh, Jonah, but the capital of Assyria is Nineveh. Whoa. Yeah. Some yeah. Jonah Nineveh? Some Jonah Nineveh. Yeah, we'll we'll get you that context when that comes along. But this is uh, right around that time frame. But we're not talking about Jonah today. So, Hosea is ruling in the north, and he's doing a terrible job, and and that's kind of why they're blaming the destruction on him. One of the one of the more interesting things I see in this is the king of the north does a terrible job, and so they all get deported because of it. Thanks a lot, king of the north and the south. It's like, no, our king was righteous. We were righteous. It was his grandpa that really wrecked us. And so we're paying the consequence of a different generation because we're good people. I, I, I don't know. I, I find it a little interesting how they shift that blame. Like they, they have a hard time accepting accountability in the moment. It's easy to point fingers when it's somebody else. So for context sake, Assyria is north of Israel and it becomes a mighty power at this time. It's going to conquer the entire Near East. It's going to come down to uh, Babylon. And it's even going to pass through Israel all the way down to Egypt. And Egypt, it, it, that's kind of like an, another superpower at the time. And Israel's thinking maybe we can rely on Egypt to help. And Assyria is saying, no, like lying, relying on Egypt is like leaning on a broken reed because the reed snapped, it's got a sharp edge, it's going to go right through your hand and hurt you. Don't rely on a, a country that's not willing to back you up or support you or be there to help you out. Israel wants to form a confederacy. Uh, there's a whole coup in here and things that are going to happen that we really don't get to get into in this scripture that's happening at this time frame but we will get into it to help us understand the Isaiah prophecies because Isaiah is living right around this time frame as well. And anyhow, they try to they try to form a confederacy with with Judah's king, replace him and and then go to war against Assyria. That comes back to bite them. Assyria comes through, destroys Damascus, destroys Israel, and they even destroy most of of Judah. But when they go to destroy Israel, Israel um, Assyria has a policy that they take people out of the country that they conquer, relocate them all throughout their kingdom, and the idea that it's going to disrupt their ability to unite and fight back against them. And when they pull all of these people out and they conquer northern Israel, a bunch of lions come out of the woods and, and so they're relocating people from all of these different kingdoms into northern Israel. And these lions start tearing them up and destroying them. And so they say to the king of Assyria, like, look, obviously we have offended the gods of the land by bringing in these people that don't know how to worship the gods of this land. And if they don't know how to worship the gods of this land, they're never going to prosper. If they don't prosper, we don't get good tribute. We don't get good money. We don't have a happy people. We, we don't want a cohesive people that will unify and fight against us, but we do want a prosperous, somewhat happy people. So the solution is let's get 
Levites that we conquered from Israel and send them back. And they will teach the people how to obey the law of Jehovah while they're in there so that lions don't come and eat them anymore. So they send these Levites down. The Levites teach them about worshiping the Lord and what that means. And now you have a people in the north that's a mixed race. They're part Israel. They're part priest. They're part other nations or Gentiles. But they're worshiping God. And they're worshiping oftentimes their own gods as well. So remember how Elijah's saying, how long are you going to limp between two? These people are definitely limping between two. They worship God, but they also worship the gods from where they came. So it's kind of this mixed race. And, and by the way, do you know what the capital of Israel is? Jerusalem. No, that's Judah, southern. Uh, Bethlehem. Samaria. Samaria. Of course, obviously. So where, what do you call a bunch of uh, mixed races living in in Samaria that worship the Lord that Judah worships, but they also have these pagans and these Gentiles mixed in that makes them unholy or unclean. Samaritan. This is the beginning of the Samaritans. I got a right answer, baby. Yeah, buddy. This is where this is where the whole rivalry with Samaria, the Samaritans, it, it kind of begins ever since the kingdom split because there's a little bit of enmity between Judah and Joseph. And, and Joseph, his son Ephraim, is the capital of Israel. So this is Ephraim's territory, and Samaria is the capital there. So they always have this little bit of a rivalry like between brothers, and they, they don't like each other. But this mixing of Gentile nations and impure practice really becomes the part where the Jews look at them with with serious disdain, like you are not holy. You've been mixing all of these nations in and all of these different practices, even though they did worship the Lord. And and in some instances, the Samaritan scriptures, the Samaritan records, and some of the things the Samaritans did it might rival or be even more true to 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 practice of what the Lord expected. So it's, it's kind of interesting for what it's worth. So when, when the king of Assyria goes down and conquers all the way down through Egypt and he takes all of the cities and the walled cities of Jerusalem, excuse me, of Judah, he takes everything but Jerusalem. And, and this is really cool. Not always do you see records from the ancient world from outside sources that line up with what we read in the Bible. But in Sennacherib's own writing, so he is the king of Assyria, he describes it as, I have taken all of these cities, everything but Jerusalem, and Hezekiah I have like a caged bird ready to stick my hand in and pluck him out. So we, we actually have good conformity with the historical record and the biblical record for these stories. Now, it's interesting when we start talking about the southern kingdom, because northern kingdom really ceases to be relevant at this point with with the Syria and the, it just the bible doesn't ever treat it the same but with the southern kingdom as we're going to start rolling into their demise in these next few chapters you're going to see an interesting pattern of righteous king wicked king wicked king righteous king hezekiah is counted as uh, an extremely righteous king and perhaps this is the reason why jerusalem stays independent and doesn't fall at this time with Assyria and and how they get delivered. But when, when the Assyrians come down, Snacrib takes his army down and he he kind of posts there in Lachish. And we even we have all sorts of records from this time period. We even have the Lachish letters and letters written from the city of Lachish, which was a, a town or a city in Judah, but it wasn't part of Jerusalem. So as all of these walled cities fall and these correspondences that go back and forth and what's happening, we have all of these records in here. And when the king laid siege to Jerusalem, he had it all surrounded so that they were going to starve the people out. Think of what we saw last week with Elisha and, and the part where they're selling pigeon dung because everyone's besieged and they have no food and things are getting desperate. And Sennacherib sends a messenger 
to go and talk to the people of Israel. And the messenger speaks in Hebrew to the people. And one of Hezekiah's men, this translator says, don't speak in Hebrew, speak in as Assyrian. We have translators, we'll understand. We don't want the people hearing what you have to say. And the translator's like, oh no, or excuse me, the, the Sennacherim's messenger's like, my message is for everybody. And his message is, don't trust God. But it's an interesting message because he says, your Lord is the one that commanded Sennacherib to come down here and take you out anyways. Which is true, not just from, from what the Assyrians saying, but from what the Bible tells us. Even Isaiah, when he describes this and he says that an ensign will I lift up to the nations, this ensign is a call to the Assyrians, to the Babylonians, to the Egyptians to come and to raid the Lord's people. And, and the Bible tells us that the Assyrians were called to come and, and work this destructive work because of the wickedness of the people. So it is interesting that this messenger is saying, hey, so you know, we're on the Lord's errand. The Lord sent Sennacherib here to take care of you. So why do you think the Lord's going to protect you? But it is interesting because as he goes on with his taunt, Hezekiah in his righteousness had ordered the destruction of the high places, the groves, the the cult places of worship all throughout Jerusalem because they had turned away from the Lord. And they they were worshiping Baal, they were worshiping other gods, and, and Hezekiah is destroying all of that. So when this messenger goes, he says, your king has destroyed the worship of God. And, and it's interesting because he connotes all of these high places and sacred places and things that Hezekiah destroys with Jehovah worship. He says, your king has, has given up on Jehovah or else he wouldn't have destroyed all of these ways in which you worship Jehovah. So it's interesting to note the Jewish people, as much as they were uh, practicing idolatrous practice, a lot of them were doing these, uh, adopting these foreign practices to still worship the Lord. Very similar to what you see with the golden calf. They, they still wanted to worship the Lord, but they were adopting foreign manners and how to do it. So Sennacherib, I, I, the king's there. He's trying to demoralize the people. He's asking for Hezekiah to, to give all the gold that he has. Hezekiah is melting the doors off the temple, the gold off of the temple doors and everything he can get to try to pay this off and save his people. Nothing's working. And, and he consults Isaiah the prophet. And we're, we'll read this about this in Isaiah because Isaiah, this is where the prophecies, the beautiful prophecies start coming of the, a, a child shall be born to a virgin. And, and you think it's talking about Christ and it does have dual fulfillment in that, but he's also talking about the Lord delivering this people in this day and what's going to happen and, and how they're not going to have to worry, but how some of these destructions are going to happen and how the Lord's going to redeem them and how they're going to be scattered and yet again, how they're going to be restored. So, so this is definitely the time frame of, of Isaiah. Anyhow. How do the... What do, what do like people in the Jewish religion, how do they take all of these Isaiah scriptures that are directly prophesying of Jesus? Well, in, in this case, it's almost not directly prophesying of Jesus. When you talk about, let, let, let's just take a second to look that verse up because when he says, a child shall be born. Yeah. Give me a second. I'm flipping my pages in Isaiah. You, you actually flip through scriptures faster than most people. You were probably that dude in seminary always winning in the scripture <laughs> chase, weren't you? You can say it, dude. You can, you can take a victory lap. Seminary. I went to two years of seminary. Yeah? I think I was supposed to go to four, but I stopped going. Pretty sure you're supposed to go to four, but I don't blame you for... Oh, I shouldn't say that. I mean, it was tough. You, can, you don't... It was tough. But they tried to give me a two-year degree still. I'm like, what is that all about? It's basically like those uh, fake callings that they give you in certain wars just because they need you to like, still keep coming to church. They tried to, they tried to give me a two-year seminary degree just to try to get me to go to seminary graduation. By fake calling, are you talking about um, 
the second counselor in the Sunday school presidency. <laughs> what? Because because that that was. Are you calling me? Are you telling me that that's a fake? You're telling me that my calling's a fake calling. That was also my calling. No, I I mean it's a pretty it's a pretty relaxed calling. <laughs> Hang out in the library and. Because even the Holy Ghost meetings. doesn't know who the second counselor. Oh is. yeah, oh man, just beating my calling up right now. That's uh, terrible. Mostly like, well, never mind. I don't want to start calling out other people's callings too. But there's definitely some. We just need you to come to church callings in this church. I feel like that that's a two-year seminary degree. It's a, <laughs> will you please just come to seminary graduation as a as an 18-year-old to hopefully feel some sort of the spirit in your in your troubled youth. I was like, nope. So they sent it to me in the mail. Oh, boy. They made that thing up for me, dude. <laughs> they made it up. All right. I'm in Isaiah okay. chapter 7. There we go. Uh, and, it, and it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin and the king of Syria and Pekah, the king of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. So to give you context here, the king of Israel, and remember Israel is the north. So, so Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail. Why, why, why is Israel and Syria going to war against Jerusalem? It's because they want to rebel against Assyria, but they know that neither of them stand a chance against Assyria. The only way they can defeat Assyria is if they're to get Jerusalem on their side. So the United Kingdom of Israel, both south and north, and the kingdom of Syria, those three nations together might stand a chance. So Syria and Israel form a league. And they go to Jerusalem and invite them to join the league. The king of Jerusalem says no. Ahaz says no. And they say, okay. So they go to war and and they lose. And then said the Lord unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz. So he's the king of Judah. Turning the page, sorry. Thou and the sheer and and sheer Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands. So these two smoking firebrands, one is Syria, the other is Israel, right? Don't, don't be afraid of these two guys. For the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. So they're saying, let's go to Judah and let's dethrone him. We have a confederate that will support us. Let's put him on the throne instead. That's their plan. And he says, thus saith the Lord God, it shall not come to pass, neither shall, um, neither shall it come to pass. It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. So, He's telling him, don't worry about these. Both nations will cease to exist before they have a chance to dethrone you. And moreover, the Lord spoke unto Ahaz saying, ask for a sign of the Lord. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And Ahaz said, I will not, neither shall I tempt the Lord. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. But before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. That sounds like Jesus. Jesus? I don't know. He's a saying, virgin's going to have a baby and his name's going to be Emmanuel? His name's going to be Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Wait, did we already talk about the Amy Grant Emmanuel song? Not yet. Oh, 
Well, now I guess our listeners know what's about ready to happen right here as I'm purchasing the tune. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. All right. Okay. So how is this not about Jesus? Okay. Explain it. So let me let me give you a little context. Okay. What year does Israel cease to be a nation? I don't know, like seven. 720 BC. I'm even shocked that I got the seven. I was just guessing a number. <laughs> So if it's 720 years before Christ comes and they're worried about about being killed by Israel and Damascus because Israel and, and Syria, Damascus being the capital of Syria and um, Samaria being the capital of Israel, mm-hmm. if they're worried about these two nations destroying them and God says, fear not, both Damascus and Israel will cease to be countries. And he says, ask me for a sign that this will be the case. And he says, I don't want to trouble you for a sign. He says, no, don't quit, quit, quit testing my patience. I'm giving you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. And before that son's old enough to choose right or wrong, those nations will disappear. So if you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about 720 years down the road. Israel and Damascus were destroyed 720 years before Jesus even came. So, so how is that prophecy about Jesus? Dude, stop, stop making fun of me, man. I don't know. That just sounds like Jesus to me. It, it does sound like Jesus. It, it's used to Dude, reference they sing Jesus. It, they sing about it in the Motab like Christmas special. They sing that scripture. Emmanuel. No, that's that's Amy Grant. She's not the one that's in Motab. I'm telling you, Motab references that scripture when talking about Jesus. So you're telling me Motab has this wrong too? I'm not saying they have it wrong. It's kind of what you're saying, man. I'm saying that scripture has been taken to refer to Jesus, but yes. in this context, it wasn't talking about Jesus at all. All right. Uh, it's it's got to be dual fulfillment. Okay. Because, so when they say a virgin is going to conceive, yes, the virgin in this case is Isaiah's wife. Your, <laughs> your look does not translate into audio. I know. I'm sure my, my awkward pause and silence probably does, though. <laughs> okay, I continue. And, and so it's not to say, so virgin does not mean necessarily that there's no intercourse involved oh oh, okay virgin means pure like virgin oil virgin olive oil it means it's 100 percent olive oil it's pure it's not mixed with other types of oil it's not right right right? i'm with you so a virgin bride is a bride that is loyal to her husband and does not have intercourse with Mm, any other husband all right so israel is compared to a virgin even though she's married to the lord and Isaiah's wife is referred to as a virgin in the sense that she is pure, that it's a, a pure woman who, who does not defile herself with any other man. So where she is not defiled, she is pure. She is a virgin. Okay. So we've, we've kind of taken that and, and applied it differently in, in, in a sense today to say, well, defiled. I, I think it, maybe it's early Christian kind of derailing and looking at sex as a sin and saying any kind of sex is a defilement, so you can't be a virgin anymore if you've had intercourse because that's defiling. Mm. But I, but but that's not borne out in the scriptures. In fact, quite the opposite. Intimacy is associated with worship of God, and this idea of a pure relationship mm. is is virgin. Okay. So Isaiah's wife is going to bear a child. In fact, Isaiah's wife is going to bear a couple children, and he's going to use their names to describe what is happening to Israel and what will happen to Israel. And so the sign that he gives is, I am going to have a kid. Before that kid, so let's go back to this verse, just make sure I'm reading this right. As I, as I flip to Kings instead of Isaiah. Okay, here we are. Um, Before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Um, so, so before he knows right or wrong, before the kid kind of can be independent and make his own choices, you'll know that these things have happened. So he can look at that child and see as that kid's getting older and closer and know 
this is going to be fulfilled. These nations are going to be destroyed. If he was talking about Christ 720 years later, then how is that a sign to Ahaz the prophet to look and see Christ grow up and develop and be like, okay, good. Now I know that my nation is going to be safe, right? So going back to how do the Jews interpret this, uh, I, I think they interpret it quite literally and how it and what it meant at that time period to Ahaz. And I think Christ and Christians look at that scripture and say, it's more than that. It is also referring to the coming of Christ. And it's particularly talking about that the coming of this child is a sign that you are going to be delivered from these nations that are oppressing you. And really two different enemies here because you've got Israel and you've got Damascus. And the coming of Christ in in this being born of a virgin 700 years later is coming to actually deliver you from two enemies spiritual death physical death so it's an it's an interesting interpretation it's taking a, a prophecy that was fulfilled and giving it new life and new meaning to to understand in the in the new testament sweet let's keep going all right so hezekiah that was a, that was a thorough explanation thank you Hope, hopefully that makes sense i'm and not people got some amy grant our favorite. We should see if we can't get Amy Grant on the podcast. <laughs> Come on, man. She's Christian. I don't think it's going to fly, but I mean, I'm gonna, honestly, whatever I'm connections gonna, you I'm have. Gonna try to con- I'm going to try to find her on Twitter. Find her on Twitter, Nate. Or Instagram. I'm be like, yo, we've got this podcast about Jesus. Would love you to come on and talk about it because I know, Amy, that you love Jesus too. So what I'm going to tell her. That's going to literally be the full context of the message. She'll write back and say, what are you talking about? And uh, now I'm getting a restraining order. All right, what what's next? So. Hopefully not the restraining order, though. In these conversations. Hold on, though. If somebody gets a restraining order, you can still listen to their music, right? <laughs> like a restraining order doesn't, like, make it so that you just can't have, like, any involvement in their lives whatsoever, right? Like, you just have to stay, like, what, 100 yards or something away from them? Uh, you know, I wonder if you could get a restraining order custom built for something so like that. They can't listen to your music anymore. <laughs> the police show up. We hear you listening to Emmanuel and what was the other one we were listening? What was the one that we listened to earlier this year? Uh, was it? Um, oh, it's a, it's a, it's um, I, I, I got it on the tip of my tongue. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. El Shaddai in here tonight too. Amy Grant. We get two Amy Grants tonight. How about that for a restraining order? All right, let's keep going. I'm sorry, everybody. This is no, I'm not this sorry, lack, everybody. You're welcome. This everybody. lack of preparation. What has opened the door? No, what are you talking about? Wide open. No, what are you talking about? First of all, plenty of preparation is happening, and we're giving the people what they want. No. Nonsense. Please go ahead and leave us a five star review. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the miracle of the story is... Is? <laughs> when Hezekiah is all sieged up and not sure what to do, they are delivered. Isaiah prophesies not one arrow will fly over this wall. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The, uh, the king of Assyria has kind of, um, you know, maybe, maybe he started off when the Lord's Aaron, but when he started putting himself above Lord and uh, the messengers bad all... Bad news. Dude, your gods can't save you. Nope. No, no God's going to save you. What about all these gods from all these other cities? Did they save them? No, no because we are God. That, that didn't sit so well. So they, they hear of a problem back at home. Sennacherib goes home to investigate, and his sons slay him in the temple, and that is the end of Sennacherib. And Esar Hayden rules in his stead, and, and Assyria in the chaos leave the siege Jerusalem is delivered and is actually the only city essentially in the entire Near East that does not fall Mm. by Mm. the hands of Assyria. Fantastic. Assyria rules for quite some time, but then they start to have some struggles. And in 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 a vacuum, when a nation falls, other nations rise up to the the challenge. Egypt gains their independence and they test Assyria by, by launching a, an army, which, interesting enough, we'll talk about this. Israel, or not Israel, Israel is kind of non-existent here. Judah, under the, the righteous king, 
Josiah goes out to meet Egypt and fight him. And and Egypt's like, what 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 are you doing? I'm on the Lord's errand. We're on the same team. We're bro. on the same team. Yeah, why are you fighting me? And he slays Josiah and Josiah dies, the oh, end of what? a righteous king. Is that true? Yeah. Wow, Josiah, you blew it, bro. Yeah. It was kind of a weird, didn't make a whole lot of sense, kind of like this podcast type thing. No, this podcast makes complete sense. Dude, you got to stop Stop trying to bury the podcast, dude. All right. This is going to be one of our highest listened to episodes. I'm calling it right now. Oh, dear. They're going to know They're gonna know that all, they're going to know that we've got Amy Grant. We got jokes. We got Josiah, the righteous king, blowing it. Lots of nummies behind door number one. Lots of nummies. Okay. Coke Zero. <laughs> so in the absence of Assyria, the rise of Egypt, and then Babylon. Babylon also wants to fill this vacuum. If this sounds vaguely familiar to you, it should somewhat sound familiar. There's this power struggle between Egypt and Babylon, and Judas caught in the middle having to pick sides. Mm. And some of Israel, excuse me, Judah, are picking to support Babylon because they feel like Babylon's going to be the next big thing. But a lot of the wealthy people in Judah are picking Egypt because they have good trade with Egypt. They've been profiteering a lot Mm -hmm. on on Egypt, rising out of the, the shadow of Assyria and gaining prominence. It's a very economically wealthy. So in this political setting, you have a trader in Judah, who's making money trading goods with Egypt, who sides with Babylon and says, Babylon is going to destroy and rule if we don't repent. And and the people of his class and the people of wealth and the people of, of political clout are upset with him saying, whoa, 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 Egypt is going to be our, our, our allies. They're going to deliver us. We're fine. We don't need to worry about that. And they sought to kill him. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, I thought we were just talking about the hymn, Ye Elders of Israel and Babylon, We Bid Thee Farewell. Cause, but but I, I'm totally lost now. I thought we were just talking about the song. Lehi. Lehi? Lehi. That's the setting for Lehi. Okay, but does this have anything to do with the song, Ye Elders of Israel? Oh, Not yet. Oh, okay. I thought I I was actually so stoked because I was like I totally have this one. All right, yeah, Lehi, because we're at what four hundred BC? No, 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 six hundred BC, six hundred BC. Yeah, yeah, we're we're stepping up in there. So Assyria destroys at about seven twenty, and now we're gonna go through this this hiccupy time frame, and and as Assyria's power starts to wane, and and they start to kind of fall apart, you're gonna see Egypt rising, and you're gonna Babylon. see Babylon rising, and as Babylon's rising. That's the side that, that the Lord warns Lehi, and not just Lehi, but lots of prophets of the destruction of Jerusalem mm. if they don't repent from Babylon. And so they're saying, whoa, 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 Babylon's coming to wipe us out. We need to repent, and, and we need to make sure we're paying tributes and picking the right, the right side here. Mm. You, your choices are Babylon, Egypt. And, and a lot of the wealthy people wanted to go with Egypt because that's where their wealth was earned. That's where they established trade. That's where they were doing really well. And, and they, they, they picked the wrong side here. And Babylon is going to deport the, the, the kings, the high, the high class, the, the top of the society, pull them into Babylon, and, and then leave kind of the lower class there that are a little more subservient and, and the ones that kind of picked them anyways and and try to establish order in their rising kingdom as they establish the new the new order. But Lehi knew that the people were picking the wrong side. Yes. And so he's like, we're out of here. Out. We're out. We are not going to be destroyed by Babylon. That's awesome information, kind of backstory on... Yeah, give you a little what context. Was happening, what was happening this when is, Lehi was getting ready to bail. This is an interesting time in the Bible. It's very critical because we have... Isaiah, we have Jeremiah, we have Jonah, we have Assyria, 
Um, we're going to have Babylon coming and understanding the whole captivity of Babylon, which is going to take us to the story of Esther, the story of Daniel, the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, where all that comes from. I love these stories. All of this is tied into like this time frame of what's going to happen here, and, and this is setting the stage for, for all of those stories. So kind of an kind of important part of history. Um, Hezekiah is a righteous king. And towards the end of his life, as he's looking for deliverance, uh, the, the, the Isaiah promises he's going to be saved. Also, Hezekiah gets sick. And he asks Isaiah about his illness. Isaiah says, you're going to die. Mm. So Hezekiah is in tears, not ready to die. And he's praying to the Lord as Isaiah's leaving. And as he's, as he's leaving, the Lord tells Isaiah to go back because of the prayers and the sincerity and the cries of Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah and tell him, okay, you'll live a little bit longer. Hmm. And as a sign that you're going to live a little longer, there's a sundial out there and I will cause the shadow to move forward. And Hezekiah says, well, moving forward seems like no big deal. Why don't you cause the sundial to move backward? Because that seems like it would be impossible. And he says, okay, fine. We'll make the sundial move backward for you. <laughs> so the sundial moves backwards. Why does backwards. he have to give him a sign at all? <laughs> hey, man, I'm a prophet and you're going to live longer. Oh, I, I would think the best sign is just not dying. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, oh sweet. I'll take it. Not dying? I'll take it. No, I need you to make something crazy happen. Yeah, well, something crazy happens. Okay. He lives. <laughs> and, and he's so happy that he lives... And and some so this is where it gets a little bit interesting, mm-hmm. as as Babylon some sends some representatives to Hezekiah to to find out how he's doing, maybe sending him some get well wishes and and see how how things are going. Hezekiah is enjoying his new leaf, lease on life, and so he takes these emissaries from Babylon and he shows them everything he has. Let me show you all of my gold. Let me show you all of the gold inside of the temple. Mm, yeah, Let me show smart. you all of the gold inside of all of Israel. Mm. Let me just show you all of my goods. I see where this is going. Really really smart move there. Yeah, so they go back to Babylon. And and Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, Hey, what are you <laughs> just out of curiosity, who were those guys? Oh my gosh. And he, and he says, Oh, they're they're from a really far away place called Babylon. Like that. Don't don't worry about it. You're like, bro, that's like next door. <laughs> Like what did you uh, what did you show them by chance? Oh my gosh. Uh, just just everything I had, that that just just all my 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 gold and my jewels and and, and all my valuables. You know, it's kind of showing off a little bit. And Isaiah says, "Yeah, that's not going to go well for you." <laughs> Let me show you another sign. Because because you did that, Babylon is going to spoil your kingdom. Yeah, I'll show you a sign. And he says, "But don't worry." It won't happen in your lifetime. You'll die, and it'll be good. It'll happen like down down the line in your kid's lifetime. And Hezekiah's like, sweet. As long as it doesn't happen in my oh lifetime, my I guess it's good. <laughs> the Old Testament's wild. It's a pretty weird place. <laughs> so, Nate, what can you get out of that story? Uh, okay, hold on. I mean, there's definitely some lessons to be learned here. Mm-hmm. Here's Here's what I get out of that story. I'm listening. It is interesting, the, uh, the, uh, what is the, I'm trying to remember the movie that, that he, uh, oh man, I gotta remember the movie, where basically the, uh, this person owes a lot of money to somebody, right? And all kinds of crazy things, the, the, the person owed a bunch of money because of a gambling debt, and, some family member of this person finds a way to get the money so that this person, even though they're kind of a creep, can go pay this gambling debt. And as soon as they raise the money for this person to go pay the gambling debt, he's like, um, okay, but now that I've got all this money... Double or nothing. Maybe we should go back. And they're like, take the money and pay off the debt. And the other person's going, well, I mean, but it is my money that you gave to me, right? It kind of feels like this thing. It's like this dude gets a new lease on life, and the first thing he does is just go, now I'm basically just going to give everybody a reason to come and destroy me. Hey, thanks for the lease on life. I was really sad about this. Um, but um, let me just let me just show the Babylonians everything. I don't know. Maybe the lesson we learned here is don't be an idiot. <laughs> 
be wise. What more can I say? Yes. I mean, that's that's about as deep as it gets for me, I'm afraid. Well, and I and I take this too, and I and I look at it and say, we can pray and ask the Lord for protection. We can pray and ask the Lord to bless the food that we're eating. We can pray and ask for all sorts of things. But if we aren't taking measures to protect ourselves, I mean, I mean, I mean what are you really asking the Lord to do at that point? Like, like, please, please protect me in all of my terrible decisions. Yeah. Is that, is that the prayer that you're asking? Because that's kind of a wild prayer. If so please protect me in me being irresponsible. The, the Lord expects us to, to, to be wise, as it says, be wise, what more can I say? And, and use some prudence, uh, develop, develop some common sense and maybe not be so trusting all the time. Sometimes we're very trusting and we trust the wrong people or, or we are too open and too willing to share things that maybe we shouldn't share and that maybe we should keep to ourselves. Use a little bit of wisdom. Uh, use a little bit of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Discernment? And, and, and what you choose to say and who you choose to say it to and what you decide to show and who you decide to show it to. Works for me, man. All right. So that was Hezekiah. He dies. Yep. And then you have his son. And, and his son is not like Hezekiah. Okay. One of these sons is not Better like or worse? the other. Worse. Oh, man. Um, much, much worse. So this is, this is Manasseh. Manasseh rules longer than any other king in all of Judah history. 55 years, this guy's king. This isn't the E from Manasseh, Manasseh, right? Different Manasseh. Okay, I'm just making sure. Just making this sure, is the that Manasseh. That seems like quite some time difference between those two. He's actually credited for the death of Isaiah. Oh? Because Isaiah was a prophet yeah. uh, during Hezekiah, during Ahaz, uh, leading up to here, and even during Manasseh. Um, Manasseh decides that he's going to take everything his father did and go 180 on this thing, where his father is destroying all of the different worship. He's going to not only reestablish these high places and the Baal worship, but actually like destroy the temple and, and kind of let all of that fall in disrepair and ignore it and let it go to the side and, and really push for idolatry. That's his deal. And, and he's very, he's, he's counted as such a wicked man that Manasseh, even though it's not even his son or his grandson or his great-grandson when the Babylonians finally kind of wipe out all of Judah, he still gets blamed for the act happening like 100 years later, saying That's, that man right there was so wicked, it was his fault. It doesn't even matter what we did. We had no choice in the matter because God already decided he was going to wipe us out when that guy took the plate. And, and part of that might have been the fact that he took Isaiah, according to legend, put him in a tree and sawed him in half. That's right. Which isn't a great thing. No. no. And, and legend has it that, so Manasseh, in, in his defense, he takes the throne at a fairly young age, uh, kind of immature, young king. And, and they say there's a legend, a story that he gets actually deported into Babylon, kind of going with, um, with what Isaiah was telling Hezekiah. Hezekiah showed all this stuff to, to Babylon. Babylon comes and they take Manasseh and deport him down into Babylon and put him in a prison. He's spending time in a prison there and it humbles him. And, and the legend has it, they've got a, a pseudepigraphal scripture, the prayer of Manasseh, where he is praying for forgiveness for having killed Isaiah and for all of the wicked things that he had done. And the Lord actually forgives him and he gets sent back to um, Judah, to Jerusalem, and, and retakes the throne and, and ends up being a more righteous king than what he started, for, for what it's worth. And, and it's hard to know exactly what happens here. The, the people who write Second uh, Kings, and then, for the record, we skip First and Second Chronicles when we do the Old Testament as, as we're studying. Because First and Second Chronicles are almost the exact same thing as First and Second Kings. It's a retelling of the same story from a different perspective, different books. But both the, both the authors are very negative on Manasseh, and, and they really focus on the wicked things that he had done. I think they have a really hard time forgiving him for killing Isaiah, and, and especially for killing Isaiah in such a gruesome way. For, for what it's worth. So he's a, supposedly a really wicked king for a very, very long time. And then 
after and and he is he he is blamed entirely for the destruction of Jerusalem. After him, Josiah takes the throne. And and Josiah is like Hezekiah, super righteous. So again, we go from bad to good, back and forth, right? Josiah is so righteous, he, he actually goes to the temple, restores it, and he finds the, the scriptures in the temple, and he says, what, we're supposed to be reading this? And, and, he, and when he reads it, and he's like, whoa, we're supposed to be doing a lot of things we're not doing, and, and there's a lot of things that we are doing that we never should have done. We're doomed. And, and so he wants to save the people and he is fasting and praying and distraught and, and doing anything he can do to try to save himself. And God says, because you're so righteous, Israel won't get destroyed or Judah won't be destroyed during your reign. You'll, you'll die in peace. It'll, it'll happen in subsequent generations. Like, oh, as long as it's not my generation. And so it's weird, these king's attitude, like, I don't care what happens to my kids. As long as everything's good under my name, we're good. And, and, and Josiah is the one, very righteous, and, and he actually gets all of the people to be very righteous. And the commentators say, for as righteous as Judah was, it didn't matter because God had already said he was going to destroy him because of how bad Manasseh was. So they're not going to take accountability for what happens after Josiah. They're not, and they say it doesn't matter how good you are. God's never going to save you if he's already decided. And, and we've seen that that's not the case. I, I, don't, I don't agree with the, the commentary that's being written here at this point in the Bible. Because just like Nineveh with Jonah, if, if the king of Nineveh and all the people repented just like Josiah did and God was willing to save Nineveh, he certainly was able to save Judah and spare them what was going to happen. The, the weird thing though, Josiah does go out to fight um, Pharaoh and, and I don't know why. Nobody really kind of knows why. And certainly not the Pharaoh knows why. Pharaoh's like, what are you doing? And, and so Josiah dies. Rip. Yeah. Rest in peace. Sorry, Josiah. Oh, and, and they say about Josiah, you know how up to this point they always say, like, he was a king like unto David, but really David was like the ultimate king. There was never a king like David because David was the epitome of what was the best kind of king in all of Judah. Josiah, they say, there was never a king like unto Josiah, either before him or after him. And he had he reinstated, um, reinstated Passover in such a big way. They say there was never a Passover celebrated as much as it was in Josiah's time. So he really did turn the people to their roots. Uh, extremely righteous king. Anyways, a little bit more we- weirdness happens here. And, and then you get... Um, you, you get actually Egypt coming in this is this is setting the throne for the the kind of the, the, that dual nature that you're going to be seeing that puts Lehi in that odd spot of having to choose between Babylon and Egypt because Egypt is going to come and and try to get Judah to to fall in line with 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 Egypt and support them and the king doesn't support Egypt as much as they want so they're going to dethrone him and put on a puppet king that supports Egypt and that king reigns for a number of years and, and then he dies. And, and again, you get this back and forth of wickedness. And, and then finally you get to the point where Babylon is going to come in. And, and Babylon is going to take over and destroy Jerusalem. They start wiping them out. And then you get Zedekiah's king. And, and then that's where you pick up in the Book of Mormon and then the, the reign of Zedekiah and all these prophets prophesying and this weird little thing coming on between Babylon Judah or and, and Egypt and Babylon wins, takes over. And what they're going to do is deport all of Judah, bring them all back into the east, except for a small number. Jeremiah actually survives deportation and, and escapes down into Egypt with a group of, of Israelites. They flee down into Egypt. But Judah kind of ceases to exist as a nation at this part. They're all being carried away captive into Babylon. And then they're going to lose their identity there for a while. And this is where Isaiah prophesies, don't worry, you'll be there, but the Lord will bring you back out. You're just going to have to wait. And, and that's, 
the sad story of the destruction of Jerusalem. There it is. It's a sad story. But like we've seen over and over and over, the Lord continues to restore his people. Even after they've blown it, even after, even after they've blown it, and they've had to suffer the natural consequences of their poor decision, God still loves them and is still going to restore them, still going to bring them back. Restore. It's like, uh, it's like you see the cycle over and over and over. Pride cycle? Yep. It, the, the whole judges cycle? The whole thing. It's, it's history repeating itself. All right. Um, anything else? No. It's a good, you guys got a good history lesson. You got some Amy Grant. Got, you got a little sadness, which is appropriate because this is a... It's good, kind of part of what's going on in this part of the scriptures. So we got a little deal. Lehigh. We got a little Lehigh connection here. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Go ahead and go leave us a five-star review and tell them why this was your favorite episode that we've done so far. Um, I apologize in hindsight for this episode. No, you don't need to apologize for anything. This is my favorite one other than maybe the begats. Do we haven't had any begats for a while. I know. We had right, a we lot of fun. We need to figure that out. We need to figure that out. All right. Um, I will be, Jason might be pulling um, podcast duty alone next week. We'll see when I get back. Ooh. But uh, either way, um, one of us will see you next week. Hey, hey, you didn't even ask what we're talking about next week. Is it because I, I, I know we don't? Because I know we don't know. I learned my lesson last week. You would think that after a year and a half of doing this, that I would have learned before now that we never have any idea what we're talking about next week. Do you actually know what we're talking about next week? No. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> what, we're talking. We're talking. What about did you do? What? Ezra and Nehemiah. All right. That okay. Well, sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't ask you what we were talking about next week. You were ready, dude. You were prepared. I, I, I let you down so many times. I figured I might as well have this one ready to go. Man, you queued totally, up you, in the pitch. You, you've given me. You've re. You've reinstilled I totally hope in me. Totally redeemed yourself. Totally redeemed yourself. All right. Till next week. See ya.